So you wanna watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week, we dig into another Paul Thomas Anderson wreck and a film that some critics contend is one of the greatest ever made. We're talking 1975's Nashville, directed by Robert Altman and featuring about 25 separate main characters. So I'm not <laughs> going to spend time naming all the actors here, but I think <laughs> most are going to come up organically here. How about it, Jay? Dude, it's funny. When I was working on the outline earlier, as you were typing the intro, never get to read the intro until I hear it, which I love. Um, but I was like writing some of the performers down that we're going to want to mention. And then after that, I just put other performers because there's so many that are going to come up in conversation for sure. It just I'm not listing does. them all out either. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really big. Uh, but, you know, big some big names, Lily Tomlin, you know, Keith Carradine, they, you know, there's some some names in there. Um, Ned Beatty is one of my favorite character actors of all time. And, he, you know, mm. he's got a, a good bit in this. So, yeah, we'll get to get into all those kind of things uh, as we go along here. But excited to be digging into uh, a classic that I have, you know, avoided seeing for a long time for no good reason whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. And you have. Well, we'll get into it. I was going to say you have experience with Altman, blah, blah, blah. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll touch peel it all that. back. We'll get into the Sungin. We'll get into it. But I am very much looking forward to this conversation as well, dude. Absolutely. Shall we do a quick board review before we jump into Nashville itself? Love it, dude. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Wow. <laughs> dude, it just it just wedges in there. That was, yeah, that was fully just muscle memory. <laughs> At number one, The Brothers Bloom. Number two, Akira. Number three, Zed. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Today's Episode in Nashville. Number 14, Straight Time. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, Altered States. I had been meaning to tell you I took a picture. I meant to text it to you. I didn't do it. But uh, in Videodrome, they have the Limey out on the shelf. Mm. In the, in the, it's uh, it's Soderbergh, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's in the Soderbergh section. Big sticker on the side. Great exclamation point from, from the Videodrome people. So highly recommended by them. And I'm looking forward to hitting that one, dude. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. I'm excited to get to that one for sure. But uh, today's episode is going to be Nashville. Do you want to give us yeah. a little streaming check there, Jared? Certainly. I feel like it's been a while since this happened, but maybe I'm wrong. Pay to rent only. Uh, get it on Amazon, you know, normal places. There is a Criterion Blu-ray available, which is actually the form that I watched for this week. And uh, I can speak to that. It's very high quality. A lot of bonus features and shit like that. So uh, if you just want to check it out, uh, you can pay to rent. Other than that, you can take the plunge and get the Criterion. Yeah, and I, I mean, I will say the Criterion disc is out of print at this point, so you can only buy Ooh. secondhand. Um, so it is, that's it weird. is pretty hard to find. But, uh, but yeah, I wonder why it's. I thought it was. That's a how they always go. So that, they they uh, print a certain amount and they have it for a little while, and then that's that's all that she wrote. Oh, so their whatever their deal is, their memo is with these great films. They probably only 
can create so many of them? Or they only have the rights for a certain amount of time? Who knows? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how that agreement works. Um, I just know that there's a, a ton of the Criterion back catalog in terms of their their uh, disc releases that you can't you can't buy for you know a new version of uh, at this right. point. So. Well, dude, I didn't know that. In, in a way, it's almost like limited editions. I got to keep a little closer eye on these Criterion That's fire sales saying, and man. stuff. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I love the Criterion. I mean, it's very kind of like typical movie nerd hipster douchery shit, but I love it. They do great work. They they preserve great films, and they give you the bonus features, man. I love mm-hmm. the bonus features. So, I believe. This, I don't believe, I know <laughs> this was a Drew Clark choice. Why am I fibbing? This is a Drew Clark choice. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Well, rusty, Rusty. So I know for a fact <laughs> this Sorry. is a Drew Clark pick. You kind of, kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, what kind of officially led you to putting Nashville on the board and also... Is there a specific reason why it kind of took this long for you to get to this one? Well, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson references this movie a lot, um, specifically in regards to Magnolia. This movie is is a huge inspiration of his. And he's, you know, a devout Altman acolyte um, to the point where Paul Thomas Anderson was even when uh, Altman was filming, I believe, Gosford Park. I want to say that was his last movie that he released before he died. I, I think I saw it was Prairie Home Companion. Oh, you're right. Prairie, that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's what it was. You're right. Um, but when he was making Prairie Home Companion, um, the studio mandated that he have another director on set in case he died in the middle of making it, so that <laughs> that could finish the movie and could you know kind of like keep it in line. Um, and Paul Thomas Anderson was that guy. So he's like he's a he's an acolyte of of. Altman, he's a, a direct descendant in terms of, you know, uh, cribbing a little bit of filmmaking style, but also just being a devoted fan. Um, so anyway, I've, I've heard Anderson reference this movie constantly. And so it's been in my mind since college. It's, it's something that I've been aware of for a long, long time. And for whatever reason, it's just not one that I got to. I think I watched The Player, uh, from 1992 with Tim Robbins and a bunch of other people uh, that Altman directed. I watched that back in college and was really not into it. And I think that that in some ways turned me off of Altman for a long time. So that probably is is partially to do with why I didn't watch this earlier. Um, But, you know, during the pandemic, you know, I, I referenced this time period in my life a lot because it was a time I was unemployed and watching a ton of stuff. During the pandemic, I watched McCabe and Mrs. Miller, MASH, and Brewster McCloud, uh, three of his early 70s uh, films, and was really into it at that point. Uh, MASH, I wasn't as, as high on. Brewster McCloud, I was like kind of mixed on. But uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, I thought, was just a stone-cold masterpiece. Mm. And I don't know why after watching that and being so blown away, I didn't make the jump to Nashville, but for whatever reason I didn't. And yeah, it just, I don't know. It just, I, I, I think when I put this on the board, I had just gotten back from Telluride Bluegrass Festival. I was very much thinking about, you know, that style of music in Nashville as, as kind of a, you know, a, a hub of, of, you know, talent for that, that style. And it just made sense to me. It was like, you know what? 
it's time to get this on, this is a good reason to, to watch it finally. So there you go. That's, that's why Nashville's on the board. I love that you put this on because I may have alluded to this last week, but I had rented this movie once years ago. And it was one of these things where I had it for like 10 days after it was due back to Videodrome. It was so fucking late and I hadn't gotten around to seeing it. And it was, it got to the point where it was like stressing me out that I still had this movie and it was so late and I hadn't watched it yet. So I like put it in finally to watch it. I got like maybe an hour into it and I was like, no, 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 I don't, I'm not watching this. I'm returning it. I'm just getting done with it. So I have like a little bit of experience with Nashville to that degree, but I was really in the mood to revisit. So I got so excited when you put this up because I was like, fuck yeah, because I really owe that movie another shot because I just wasn't watching it in the right headspace. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that, to this chat tonight, man. Absolutely. It's uh, it's definitely, I, I would put it in film snob shamer territory. It's not a shamer yes. in terms of general population, but for what we are into, it feels like a shamer to me in some ways. I totally agree. And you want to hear something truly shameful. This is my first Robert Altman movie I've ever seen. Really? Someone loves movies. It's absurd. Unless there's one that he directed that I wasn't aware of. But like any of the ones you rattled off, I have not seen. Uh, maybe I can pull up his his filmography real quick. No, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me necessarily. Um, I guess, I don't know. I just, I figured being the Paul Thomas Anderson obsessives that we are with how much he references mm. Altman, I, I, it's surprising yeah. on some level that you haven't dipped your toes into that. Oh, for sure. You know? And I just, just when I went to pull up his filmography, I saw a little link to an article about Richard Linklater, you know, one of those like Rotten Tomatoes, he names his five favorite films. I'm sure Nashville's on there. And it's like, oh, yeah, I can see how uh, Altman, if this if this film is indicative of his style, affected like Linklater and people like that too, not just PTA, but like, I mean, I see Altman fingerprints all over things like Dazed and Confused and, and other stuff like that. No, absolutely. Like just the sprawling kind of, mm-hmm. you know, Multiple characters. Yeah, yeah. Just like tons of different perspectives and storylines all intersecting. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely. I, I I'm yeah. Days and confused. It makes is a great comparison. So since this is your pick, Drew, I want to start by asking you, what did you think of Nashville? I will start by saying this. I. I understand your reaction on your first viewing there really is not a narrative uh, well there there is no narrative really for the first like the first hour hour and a half of this movie um and ultimately it doesn't really develop one uh by the end either but it it becomes more clear what it's trying to do by the end for sure but i but i fully understand your reaction in terms of getting to about an hour into it and saying like no not now's not the right time because it's a long long movie it takes its time it really jumps around a lot and and i you know it, it took me a long time to, to click in with this movie. I, I, I'm with you there. I think, though, once it fully comes into its own and it starts to kind of reveal what it's actually about, it's a really fucking tremendous film. Do I think it's like an all-time classic great film that I've ever seen? I don't know if I'm quite there yet, 
but I could certainly see as I think about this and, you know, as, as we do a lot, like as we talk about this and kind of dig into the themes and, and what's going on with the characters, I, I, you know, I could see this opening up and, and, uh, me saying that it's, it's an all time great. Um, so I found it fascinating if it wasn't totally like narratively satisfying to me, if that makes sense. What did you think it of it? It makes a lot of sense. Drew, I was so amped up. <laughs> I, I watched this movie. I got, ca- I got back from my trip and I, I put this movie on and I started it again and I was like, yeah, I still hate it. I, and I was I was so excited. I hadn't ripped a movie in a while. And this is a movie that everyone's sucking its dick. Everyone loves this fucking movie, including filmmakers that we've already mentioned that you and I both adore. But I was like, I haven't like really ripped one since Reflections of Evil. And I was just get so excited. I was like, this is gonna be my repo man. I'm gonna be the guy on the on the street corner saying, This movie sucks and you're all crazy. You know what I mean? Which is which was your opinion on Repo Man back then. Um, so I didn't get through it again. So I guess <laughs> technically the second time I, I got to, well, let me, let me rewind it back a little bit. The first time I tried to watch it years ago, the scene I bailed on was grand old Opry and, uh, the guy is, is singing and I was just like, dude, fuck this movie. I got to get it back to Videodrome. Like I'm out, I'm out. It's too chaotic. It's too noisy. It's too distracting. It's too all over the place. I'm done. And then when I got it to technically the second attempt this week, I got to the point where Barbara Jean is singing at, and she has like her nervous breakdown mm-hmm. and her like, she kind of like three peats, three peats. And then I bailed after that just because I was running out of time, but I was really not engaged with the movie at that point. And I was like, okay, um, I have to come back to it and finish it so I can talk about this movie. I come back now the third time to finish off the movie. This is last night. And I started falling in love with the tail end of this movie. And I was like, fucking A, now I don't know what to think. That's why I texted you earlier. It's like, I need to rewatch this again so I can even just make up my mind. Because I was so thrown by, I thought I had it down. It's like, I don't like this movie. It's tremendously overrated blah, 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 but it, it, it closes out in such a poignant, amazing way, and there's so many great scenes in the last hour, 45 minutes of this movie that I was like, fuck, dude, now I don't know what to think, so I went back, and now I've rewatched it today, no breaks, in start full. to finish, in full, no no stoppages, and now I think I have an opinion, and it's, it's I think it's similar to yours, but I think I like it perhaps less than you do. Okay. Um, I think it is overrated. I think the movie is distracted and there's so much time in the movie where through on the journey towards the end of this film, I feel like my time is being wasted. Like, why are we watching a scene of this? Like this conversation doesn't seem to have any relevance. We're not like learning things about the story, quote unquote, and all this stuff. And it is so chaotic. It's a pretty, pretty difficult movie to get into because the sound design is intentionally like, going for, for chaos and looseness and, and their idea of a reality uh, and making, making the sound design more realistic for the audience. It's difficult to, 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 to worm in there. Hmm. Um, so I do have those hangups and we'll flesh them out as we march through the movie. But there are scenes in here that are just out of this world good. So it is, I think, for the most part, quite a good movie. There are 
more than a handful of scenes that are unbelievably great in here. And then there's some clunkers. And so the whole thing kind of just, it's, it's a complicated relationship that I have with it. So I'm really glad we watched it. I have more respect for it on, on rewatch today than I did before. Um, but there's plenty of nits to pick and plenty of problems that I have with it. And I'm excited yeah. about batting them around with you. Yeah, I haven't watched this movie as many times as you have. I've only watched it once the whole way through. And then um, this morning I did kind of a uh, scene breakdown, just kind of, you know, dipped in yeah. and out. Um, so I, I, don't, I, my opinions might be less fully formed in, in that way. But at the same time, I think, I, if, I think what's clear from what you just said is that the difference between our opinions is that you you find these extraneous scenes to be irrelevant in some way and some I th- of them yeah and i think yes. like i think what i've come to terms with on this movie is setting aside my my brain's um longing for narrative coherence where every scene has something to do with the central narrative and because this movie doesn't really have a central narrative i think the way to look at those scenes is not as these you know just like extraneous things that you could do away with and and be fine but really to just like look back at them as more more just like focused on on um how they are communicating the themes of the movie and and what is on on this movie's mind and i think like i'm curious when when we get to you know your pet peeves and nitpicks we'll you know we can go into some of those scenes specifically and, and I, I'm curious to hear your opinions on what those would be um, because I'm curious to see if I have a different interpretation of those scenes than you do. Right. But I think ultimately like the thing that people should know going in, if you you know are at this point in the pod and you have not watched this movie, you got to go in knowing that this movie is going to bounce all around and it's not like it, it does not, abide by any of the common you know film narrative language that we are used to mm-hmm. um this is not a fucking marvel you know paint by numbers you know hit all the the expected beats movie it is doing its own thing and i really appreciate it on that level but i can see that being frustrating for people yeah two things too to just kind of round out my overall thoughts you mentioned um this movie's view on america I think it might be the most accurate depiction of America I've ever seen in hmm. any film. I mean, that's, that's very kind of prisoner of the moment, maybe, or whatever. But it just like, I think it really gets the, um, it really gets the blend right of naivety, optimism, hope, splendor, like, the American dream, the ideals of that, and then also the darkness of this place. And I think it really combines all of that super, super well. So that is, I think, really needs to be commended from my perspective as being the one here who kind of is digging at it a little bit more so far. Yeah, uh, that's. I think that is really accurate. It's actually, this is like the most American movie I've ever seen. It's, yeah. not, it's not wagging its finger constantly, and it's not clapping its hands and, and praising constantly. It's like doing both at the same time and blending it up so well that I just really thought it was a super accurate look at this country. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting thing that he's doing here where he's, 
using the ecosystem of the Nashville music scene to represent the larger political landscape of, of America. Um, and I think it is in, in a lot of ways timeless while also still being of its moment as well. Um, I, I don't know. I just, it, it's, it is really, really brilliant how it, how it does that. Um, and yeah, I mean, we can, we can dig into that more, you know, as we go along here, but I, yeah, I was just blown away by, um, I, you know, I, I think maybe I, I see it as being even more cynical than, than what you're saying there. Like, I think it, I think it does have a little bit of, of reverence for, you know, the, the kind of, um, I don't know, like the quaintness of America in some ways and how, you know, ultimately stupid we are in the grand scheme of the the world and how, how small our history is. I think it's so funny how the movie starts out with, um, 200 years. It's that's that 200 song. year song. And it's like yeah. 200 years. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's really not a long time. <laughs> yeah. And it's, just, it's we clearly... must be doing something right. Yeah, to like... last 200 years. It's like, Dude, that is that is not uh, a great achievement in the grand scheme of the history of the world. But we're just like parading around like we've done some amazing thing. It's, if that's not the most American thing in the world, like I don't know what it is. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I found all that just super fascinating. Um, so I'm curious again, like when we get into these pet peeve scenes, like the scenes that kind of like um, kept you from fully loving it. Yeah, uh, I, I want I want to kind of like break them down a little bit and see if there's maybe something that we're we're missing in there. Yeah, well, because I, I I'm just gonna throw this out there now. I'm wondering if we should do kind of the scene stuff before we get to the actors because that I think to me is really more the meat of my general opinion about this movie. Yeah, let's is do it. The hit and we could do it either before or after we talk about Altman, but uh, it's either the hit or miss quality of so many of these scenes, and I think to kind of run through them will be good. So uh, we'll uh, we'll get into that. Where do you want to start here? Do we want to start with Altman? Let's do scenes because because Altman, um, I'll just say like I I kind of mentioned earlier. I've this is my introduction to Altman as far as I'm aware, and is a name that I've heard so many times by many of the filmmakers you've mentioned, and I know that Nashville is kind of considered as like the go-to example of a movie that is styled to be like tons and tons of storylines weaving together in and out whether they cross paths or don't or anything like it this always seems like the go-to example people say like altman-esque nashville-esque like big like somebody dropped the bowl of spaghetti on the floor but it's gorgeous and it's all these storylines intersecting um so I, I i was aware of that component of this film's legacy I don't know if it was the first movie to do that, but it's often cited as a primary influence to many. Well, it's not even the first movie that he did that that did mm-hmm. this. Um, yeah. I mean, Brewster McCloud is is in a lot of ways the same thing. Um, I I found Brewster McCloud to be uh, somewhat grating. Like it's it's that movie is not funny to me. Griffin Newman from Blank Check contends it's like his favorite movie of all time, which is really fascinating to me um, because I I did not enjoy watching Brewster McCloud, but. Um, it is interesting watching that movie and seeing, you know, how he evolved that style between then, uh, you know, that movie in, I think, 1969, 1970, something like that. And this movie in 75, like he clearly like had had kind of nailed down what he wanted to do with that, that kind of sweeping, grandiose, just like 
multiple perspectives type storytelling. Mm. So you think he kind of he took the training wheels off and had already cut his teeth on this idea? Absolutely. And th- this approach to that type of story that's cool. That's cool. I mean, I, I gotta I gotta get more into him, even though I have complicated reaction to this film. Um, there's a lot more I want to see, and I was I was venting about because this was when I was talking. When I was talking to the Videodrome guys, it was after my second failed attempt, didn't get to the end of the movie, and I was kind of bitching about it to them. I was just like, yeah, I just can't get into this film. And like, yeah, that's a tough altman to begin, and they started rattling off some others that I should kind of maybe maybe start with. And um, What did they throw out there? Um, they did the uh, the Elliot Gould one, where it's like the, the Philip Marlowe story. The I Long Goodbye. Remember. Yeah. yeah, the long goodbye, like the guy was like, that would be good to start with him. This other guy's like labeling shit next to him or whatever. And he's just like, and he at the sound of the long goodbye, he's like, ooh, that's a great one. So like, you know, there's a bunch that like. I really I want you to watch McCabe and Mrs. Miller. That, that movie yeah. absolutely floored me. And I think like the themes of uh, the American dream and capitalism and, and you know, the. It, it, the way that he uses the uh, you know American frontier to to represent a lot of that stuff, I found more engaging to me than than what he's doing here. Even if I I do I do really like this movie too. Yeah, and the other relation I have to Altman is through Mike Nichols. We covered it a little mm. bit, decent amount in the Catch Twenty Two episode. Those movies came out being Catch Twenty Two and Mash at the same time, and. Yep. MASH kind of won out in the moment, and Mike Nichols was, like, blown away, f- completely floored by MASH. And um, you came down preferring Catch-22 if forced to compare them, right? I did, yeah. It's it's just, it's more my style. Um, and I, I think, like, the comedy in MASH doesn't really hold up anymore. Like, it's pretty dated in terms of its, its attitudes towards, you know... Um, women and and uh, minorities and like like i don't know just some of the jokes in there are a little hard to bear uh in in modern with a modern lens on yeah. it um yeah. so i think like some of the things that worked back then are just not going to work on a modern audience but in terms of like the filmmaking of it i did find it really fascinating yeah and and nichols was just enamored and he was just talking about how he kept saying loose how loose Mesh was and how yeah. loose uh, uh, Altman's approach was. And Catch-22 had yet to be released yet, but I think it was in the can. And he just was like looking with despair at this kind of old-fashioned, in his eyes, Catch-22 stodginess that he was bringing to the table. And then conversely, we have Altman kind of loose. So again, I knew... It's just so funny to me, though, thinking about that, because like you... like. Not to spend too much time on Catch Twenty Two because it's not really relevant to, to this movie, <laughs> it's but it's just barely. like, but yeah. like because we yeah. covered it on the pod, it's just funny to me because like looking back at Catch Twenty Two, it's like that movie is playful as hell. It's doing whatever it wants, you know. I know, I know, and he, I think he because I because I can see it. Like, I swear this is going to be the last time I add to the Nichols tangent for this conversation. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's that scene in The Graduate where like Dustin Hoffman shows up at the hotel. And is trying to be like incognito, but he's gone so many times that like every employee of the hotel like recognizes mm-hmm. him. Um, that is like very much to me an old school like comedy bit, and especially the way all the actors are like greeting him and stuff. And it's great, but I think it 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 seems kind of like Abbott and Costello-y and like old school. And I do see that some of the comedy stylings that they're doing in Catch Twenty Two are similar in that sort of like old school 
bit mentality. Um, but I'm excited to get to mash one day and yeah. and and see where I fall on this kind of fun little fan debate. Um, but um, but yeah, definitely Altman is someone I really need to get more into. And 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 even though like this is still a sticky one for me. There's enough great shit here that my interest has certainly peaked. Well, let's get into specific scenes. I I, I want to kind of dig in and and see scenes that that we really enjoyed and scenes that we got hung up on a little bit. Um, maybe let's start with the ones that you got hung up on, just because I'm I'm curious. Sure. Okay, so um, <laughs> I have this category: bad slash what are we doing here scenes. Um, wow. And I have a theory that a lot of it is is patch jobs for the editing, some of these choices, because my understanding is Altman is very, as Nichols said, very loose in his approach to what he's doing with his actors, how much free reign he gives them, and just kind of capturing the moments. And I would imagine, I've done a little bit of editing on a professional level before, and it can be a nightmare if you're trying to cut this thing together and actors aren't doing the same thing with their bodies each take. So when you try to match the, the together, it's like how oh, the cups in this hand now and we cut back, we can't, you know, it's too jarring and all this shit. Um, so I think that's just the downside of that as approach is he has to have a ton of these cutaway shots of like a different conversation and then come back and then it, it's not as jarring in a way. So that's a, that's a theory. I don't know if that's true, but we'll we'll get into that. So hmm. specific negative scenes, bad slash. What are we doing here? All the car accident stuff right out of the gates. Just like this, just doesn't seem to matter. I mean, yes, hmm. I understand that it's bringing a lot, if not all, of our principal characters together in this moment, and we get to cut around, and we have a, a space where everyone can be in the same place, and you can get introduced to all these people. But it just seems like like what's the point like what do we like why is this occurring and like why does it matter the delay seems to be of no consequence and again i i think you're onto something earlier when you said like being a little too hung up on narrative i'm i definitely might have been in that category but still like things that happen in movies should matter it shouldn't just be i don't know an event for character intros or seeing how people get along. I, I don't know. Maybe that's being too ticky tacky, but I just didn't care for a lot of that shit. And again, it's very early on and we're getting bombarded with this crazy sound design mix, which we'll get to later. And I just didn't care for that whole sequence. It's a really tough kind of entry point into the movie. How do you feel about like the whole like highway car accident shit? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm sitting here trying to come up with some sort of artistic interpretation of what it's doing thematically there, and I'm I'm coming up empty. I'm sure that some you know amazing film critic could could break it down and explain to me what what the the thematic relevance of that scene is. But I I probably am closer to your camp on that one in terms of like that we could lose that and maybe not lose anything from the movie really. Yeah, like what are we doing here? Like it goes into that category and. And I heard that the writer of this film, she went to Nashville twice. And on her mm -hmm. second time, like the, the her second trip was like the outline of this movie. And the things that happened in the places she went became the skeleton structure of the story. Right. And I can admire if that's, you know, if that's indicative of Altman's approach of just being like, OK, let's do it. We have these we, these kind of structural moments that will hit and then we'll just we'll just fill everything else in on the day and through an organic approach like I, I can so admire that 
and romanticize that idea and that approach to movie making. But I don't know, man. You you, you get off a plane in Nashville and you, you get stuck in traffic on a highway and you go, oh, this should be in the movie. Like, it just seems kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe what that scene is doing is highlighting the transient kind of culture of Nashville where it's like no one's actually from there. It's all people trying to make it and just, you know, coming in from all these different places. And, you know, you have this scene that brings them all together and it's like, you know, you, you, you are getting, you know, I think it is a vehicle for character introduction in a lot of ways, but it also, um, is, is kind of showing the fact that all of these are out of towners, you know, they're all just coming to try and, and make a, you know, the, the celebrity dream of, you know, making it in Nashville. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I it didn't, it didn't bother me as much as it bothers you. It sounds like, but it, it, I, I'm, I'm, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And again, second watch today, I was like, okay, I'm not hating it. Mm. There's more like individual scenes within the car accident that I'm like, what the fuck are we, why are we wasting our time on this? And like one example of that meeting more specific in the car accident thing is like, um, there's like the girl who at the end of the movie gets everybody singing after the shooting. Albuquerque. Yeah. Albuquerque. Yeah. And it's just, that scene is great. But in the car accident, she's just with this like guy in his in his hat, in his truck, and he's like her why her husband or like I don't know giving her a ride. I, I can't figure that relationship out, and they're just talking about fly swatters and shit. I'm just like, what are we what are we doing here? Why are we talking about fly swatters? And then like, I don't know. There's a lot of that stuff, and like mm. the the guy who's in Magnolia, he's like the rich guy at the bar who's flirting with that male bartender, Henry um, Gibson. Yeah, Henry Gibson. Like he and his family are in the Jeep arguing about like a hit song and what was it called? And just like, again, when I'm like, I get into that channel of like, ooh, I'm hating this. Let me continue hating it. That kind of throws logs on the fire where I'm just like kind of struggling with this movie already. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Why are we why are we focused on this? You know, and it's and it kind of adds to it. But I cooled off a bit on the second watch, but still I think those scenes are a little chunky. So it sounds like you're, you would say I'm, I'm not close, off. Uh, I'm closer to yeah. your camp than calling it ridiculous. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, next one I have, unless you have, to, and if there's any you want to pepper into. <laughs> we're, we're into ridiculous or justified territory again. Yeah, I think so. Which is, I think my new favorite category. Um, good God, too much time at the Opry. Fucking A. And it doesn't help that I'm not a huge fan of this style of country music. Like kind of like the Dolly Parton esque sort of like it's not outlaw and it's like before radio friendly it's melancholy bullshit. country from yeah that era. it's just yeah. like too much pedal steel lap steel whatever you fucking call it and like see and, and that I love that stuff so I was I was fine yeah. with all of those scenes that didn't bother me at all you liked all the Opry songs yeah I was like, fine with it I was just like I, I I liked spending time with that scene and just letting it breathe I, I was okay with yeah. that that one I, I see where you're coming from there but for me I was like do we need four songs there I think I felt like they were just infatuated with them getting that location and they're like well we gotta we gotta we gotta film a concert and put the whole thing in the in the movie I'm just like can we just maybe one song for each person speed it up a little bit uh, maybe sprinkle some shit in between so we don't have 12 minutes of country songs back to back that kind of suck I, with regards to that scene I do want to point out it made me extremely happy to find out that crowds from back then couldn't keep a beat any better than they can now 
that that made me that felt very vindicating. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. humans are all terrible at keeping beat. Yeah, dude, especially in mass. Dude, I have that moment in concerts all the time where I'm clapping along and I'm like, is this in my head? I'm like, I don't think this is right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, again, I wish I had a little more fire and brimstone because I was really in the mood to take this movie down a peg. But uh, well, and we'll get to why, why we are not fire and brimstone because the movie yeah. does, I think, like oh, it sure. salvages a lot of that frustration yeah. for sure by the end yeah. of it. But anyway, continue yeah. on with your, yeah. your pet peeves. So um, here's some others. Uh, these ones are a little more minor. If you disagree, go ah, nah, nah. You know, pop out, <laughs> pop out of the bushes. Ridiculous um, or justified? Yep. Uh, there's a scene where Julie Christie, the actor, mm. shows up, and I'm not familiar with her, but star uh, of McCabe and Mrs. Miller. She's fucking incredible in that movie. Oh, okay. So obviously Altman probably sounds like people would just show up and his like would be in town randomly, and he would just be like, "Oh no, come in, come be." Well, the movie. So, so sorry, not to derail yeah. for too much, but but Altman was known for having this kind of like caravan of collaborators that he worked with, and like the dude churned them out. Like the, this is. In this movie is sandwiched in between like three other movies that he made over the course of a two year span. Like, like he just, he just like kept going and kept going and he used a lot of the same actors over and over and over again. And actually Shelley Duvall, um, was a, a frequent collaborator of his. And at one point Shelley Duvall, I believe took the shining instead of doing uh an altman movie and he like kicked her out of the company for a while because he was pissed wow. off like he's he's a pretty vindictive guy apparently had to spend some time in the penalty box yeah. I guess. but but that's why you see elliot gould in this movie too that's right. why you know lily tomlin was a frequent collaborator like, like these people all kind of like show up throughout his his movies which is i kind of do like that idea i must say maybe not kicking people out but like um the idea of like, oh, these are my people. I work with them because there was this old school Hollywood idea. And I mean, like the 50s where like a, um, a company like Paramount or whoever was around. Yeah, the studio would have system. like the studio system. They'd have like a stable of actors mm -hmm. that they would, they would have them on contract. They'd have them on contracts. And I and I'm very glad that it's not that stodgy in a lot of ways nowadays. It's like it's opened up. And people it allows for more artistic freedom. Yeah. But there is a fun idea of like, oh, there's that face again. There's that face again, which we get we get in a more organic way now. But yeah. I, I do kind of I can kind of butter up that old idea a little bit more than it deserves. Probably. Totally. But I derailed um, us. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I love it. I love a derail. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, Julie Christie showing up and like chatting at the table again for me. What are we doing here? Like you just want to throw her in there. It doesn't doesn't. It doesn't even move character a lot. Well, That's see, okay, this one I'm gonna I'm gonna put in the ridiculous territory. Not it's Love not it. uber ridiculous, but I'm gonna mm -hmm. I'm gonna push back on this one just because I think the appearance of Elliot Gould and Julie Christie playing themselves in this movie is very much in line with this movie's focus on celebrity and the obsession with fame and the the pursuit of fame above, you know, personal you know, satisfaction ultimately. Um, and I think like the movie is, is intentionally bringing those people in as playing themselves because they're, they're two of the biggest stars of the time. And it kind of highlights the, the, the smallness of this Nashville scene. You know, they're, they're all like, like they're star, they're starstruck seeing these people walk into their, their world. 
but they, but within their little microcosm, you know, of Nashville, they are the celebrities. Yeah, and and it's kind of it's it's all like it's all playing on that just like hero worship kind of idea of like like we 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 you know elevate these people to these these statures, and and ultimately like they're as small and and unimportant as these these Nashvilleians that that aren't there yet too. Like it's just it's just all kind of. Yeah, and it kind of could be, I mean, I might be tipping my toe into this whole metaphor pool here, but it might be something about just kind of the way uh, America is structured from like a federalist level of like there's like state level power and then there's federal power. And it's like, I think that's a great interpretation. I love federal power. And like, you know, and yeah, even the country singer gets offered the governorship or potentially, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's like, his eyes are brimming about that. Well, yeah. And the Um, Henry Gibson character is kind of like, you know, he is the, the, you know, the king of this town. He's like, yeah, he's the mayor. Yeah, he like yeah, welcomes totally. these, you know, pe- these out of towners to town, and it's like expected that he's kind of like shepherding <laughs> yeah, this this whole yeah. culture along. But he's fucking yeah. nothing. <laughs> like, well, and know? we get that so well explained in the Elliot Gould scene. And I don't have exactly. a problem with the Elliot Gould one. Like, I like that one. The Julie, Julie Christie, Christie one, one, I, 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 I throw yeah, away. Yeah, that's more yeah, but fair. The Elliot, than Gould. the Elliot Gould one is so funny because today I was like, God, I love this scene. Where he is starts dim- dismissing that fantastic actor who plays the the reporter. God, she is so good in this movie. We'll get there. But like he's like she gets his her fucking microphone up in Gould's face. And what's the guy's name again? The Magnolia guy. I'm just gonna keep calling Henry. Him that, <laughs> Henry Gibson. Henry Gibson. Yeah. And Henry Gibson just starts kind of escorting her away a little bit and is like, okay, you can't, I will not abide rudeness in front of a star. And then he looks at Elliot Gold, looks back and goes, two stars, like as in meaning like including himself in the mix now. And he's I, just see, like, I think it was so funny. I think he was referring to himself at first and oh, then he added Gould as the second one. That would probably make a, I don't know, I'd have to see it again. Yeah, either way, I could see being able to read it. But, uh, so that part I liked, but the, the Christie one is just like, it didn't move the ball forward in those ideas yeah. to me of like demonstrating the shallowness of a lot of this stuff. And maybe it did, but it just seemed like a waste. Uh, but I like your pushback. I like your pushback. Um, I mentioned the Wonder Wanda one. That was the argument in the Jeep where they're mm. debating the thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> a lot of the church stuff, the whole midsection of this movie, I think, is really flabby. And there's like so much stuff that I'm like... Do, is this all necessary? Can we trim some of this stuff? Because, like, I guess they're trying to show the culture and like yeah. um, the the impact of religion on the area and things well, like and that. The and, the the, like, self, the self seriousness of it and just like the the you know how I don't know like like I think religion is is tied into the same sort of celebrity hero worship thing where it's like we, we you know. I think some would say it's the original celebrity hero. Hundred percent, yeah, yeah, and it, and the the hypocritical nature of it, you know, where it's like, um, yeah, I I, I don't know. I I'm, again, like appreciators, no. not experts. I'm I'm not yeah, no, fully like formed like on my thoughts here, but I do, I do think that like it's in, if you're painting a whole portrait of America, you have to include organized religion as part of that, For sure. and and. You know, that as kind of like a, a a community gathering kind of thing, and like I, I don't know, I I didn't have a problem yeah. with that stuff, but I, but yeah. you know, at the same time, it I can see where you come from. I don't, mm. it didn't bother me though. 
yeah, to me it felt too long. But I will say I did think it was cool to see these professional musicians in the choir, mm. whether for like kind of political purposes or for um, clean ones of just like, no, this is what we're a community. This is what you do. You, if you sing, you sing in the choir. Um, I did like seeing that, but it just, it, to me, it dragged. Um, rounding the corner of my shitty ones, um, the party at the cabin. Again, I can, I, I think it's like a, it's an editing necessity. You know, you're shooting Peter Gould talking to Magnolia guy and you want to go to a different take of that, but they're in completely different places. They're doing different things with their arms. Well, we go over here to Lily Tomlin for a moment, see what they're talking about. And then we come back and it's justified that their bodies are in different places or whatever. Yeah. Um, and again, this is all theory from me, but a lot of those little Tomlin cutaways, they're talking about like motorcycle accidents and like, I'm just like, what are we doing? What well, are we doing? Here? I don't know. I, I I'm going to push back on that one too, just because I feel like, that's that's just Altman's style. I think you're taking a very cynical read of that, and I think in uh, what you what you're missing because you haven't really seen a few of these other ones that he does. But I think you know he's trying to give you just a slice of life. He's just trying to mm-hmm. kind of like yeah. show you these characters all just living and, and you know having the kind of conversations you would expect to hear if you were just walking through a party in like life. that. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's more of a environmental choice in terms of just putting you in that that space rather than uh one where it's like he's hiding you know continuity issues i don't i don't think that i don't think it's necessarily fair to ascribe that as as the purpose yeah no i think that's a good point i i shouldn't be making the assumptions in those ways but um while we're kind of you know rounding the bend on my pet pv scenes um i just want to throw this in because we kind of we're getting there now. I do think it is a really great time capsule movie. And those cutaway scenes, I think, really add to that sort of thing, too. But just, you know, the whole, the, like, if it feels so, like, 1975. It is. It is 1975. Mm-hmm. But, like, it really, like, seems to be a time machine to yeah. this time in American history. And it's that part is really cool. Yeah. And I don't know if this is quite... A pet peeve, but it is a hot take, and I want to run it by you. Okay. See what you think. 70s hair and 70s fashion is fantastic, but it's terrible together. It's a terrible, terrible combination. How so? Are, are you, you saying like the hair and the, the fashion the don't match? They look terrible together. If you had <laughs> some of these, if you had what a some weird of weird take. And I, I, let, me, let me flesh it out a little, and 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 then you tell me what you think. Okay. If you have someone with like the the Tom characters, like hairstyle, I mean that's how Jeff looks right now, friend of ours. Um, that hairstyle, handsome man, and that Jeff, very handsome fellow. That hands that 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 hairstyle works, but then you bring the seventies clothing with it, and it's like, good God, it's terrible. And then if you have the seventies clothing. With like a maybe uh, what we would call like a modern contemporary haircut, I think it would be kind of fucking cool. But if you have both the hair and the clothing, I think it's it looks terrible. Folks, uh, email dartboardmovingnight <laughs> at gmail.com if you want any fashion tips from Jared. Yeah, yeah. Right now I'm wearing a Dr. Dog t-shirt. He really knows a, his shit. A pair of salmon shorts that have palm trees on them. Looks like the wow. flag of South Carolina. Look at you go. 
Yeah, but anyway, so that was that. that I figured while we were in kind of pet peevey, hot takey, ridiculous area, ridiculous in its decreed. I don't know. Right in. Maybe you agree. Maybe you agree. No, with I, me. I love all the shit like that. I mean, I, yeah. I've, I wish like we could just all dress and, and look like that again because it's really fun. Dude, just before I got a haircut recently, and before that, I had some pretty serious 70s sideburns going. Mm. And I was, I was convinced big sideburns are coming back. I'm still not sold that that's not the case. Um, but uh, again, if you were to to to, to throw like a, a neck scarf in addition to these seventies fucking sideburns, it would be terrible. But to kind of bet to bring it on back to the point of the negative scenes, I, I listed all of mine that come to mind now. Maybe more will pop up later. Are there any that you had issues with um, that didn't really work for you that maybe I didn't mention? I didn't jot any down. Um, I you know. Like I said, I've only watched this movie once all the way through, so I wasn't, I was trying to lock in with it. I wasn't trying to be distracted by writing notes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't really have specific scenes in mind. I think the deeper you go into this movie, the less it feels like it has fluff on it. I think if if there are, if there's a criticism along the lines of of bloat to be had here. It's certainly within the first hour of the movie. But at the same time, you know, when I'm thinking about it, like I'm running through scenes in my head right now of, you know, stuff in the hospital and stuff, you know, uh, the stuff with with the the old man, you know, kind of letting out the room to the guy and like all that stuff. And then like it, it felt very extraneous when I watched through the first time. But in hindsight, all of those things are setting things up that are important later on and, and, and pull everything together. So, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really have any of those. Um, yeah. I think the closest I come is, is agreeing with you on the, the boat crash, you know, on the, on the highway scene. Um, but other than that, sorry, <laughs> oh, one, one thing on that. Sure. It's fucking weird as hell that when the boat falls off that truck, a bunch of fucking water just splashes out. Like, were they just carrying water in the boat? Why were they doing that? Yeah, they should have a little stopper in the back of the boat that you drain any water. Yeah, it makes no sense. That's a really good point. Maybe there's a cooler. It's like a lot of, of water. It's not. It's not just like condensation or, or you know, like yeah. leftover water on like on the boat yeah. from when they were in the in the lake or whatever. It's it's yeah. like sloshing around it's like a giant fucking tidal wave of water that splashes out of this thing when yeah. it hits the ground so i don't understand what was going yeah. on there i i sorry i forgot i have a big one to run by you huge uh-oh we love him we dig him we adore him he's so fucking charming what is the point of jeff goldblum in this movie well he has nothing to do other than give people a ride on his you understand that jeff bike. goldblum was not jeff goldblum at this point I know, but we spent so much time with this character. He barely speaks. He does magic acts. He's irrelevant to the story. He's a colorful, fun character, but like he's, his entire performance could have been cut out. I don't think I would have missed it. Well, the performance maybe, but the the representation of that character, like that character is like, I mean, they specifically call it out in this, the movie where it's like, oh, uh, you know, it's like all these these people that are obsessed with Easy Rider, like they, you know, they just like want to kind of channel that. And I think like the 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 specific choice of going for that just incredibly cartoony version of of a chopper, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. is is really really it, it's it's clear that that's intentional in terms yeah. of just like this is a joke. 
Like this, yeah. this is someone who is parading around trying to embody something that they think is cool and is like just failing on every level. And it's like, oh, it, it's, I think it's directly reflective of just the time and just like, like people being like, what the fuck are we? Like, what are, yeah. what is America right now? Like we, yeah. who are we? What do we want? What are we like? What is cool? What is lame? What you like? Like it's, it, you know, it's the same thing as like, I, I don't know. No, that's good, the best thing. Well, dude, what you do? No, you nailed it. What you just said—it's a is joke. Like, it's 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 a visual that's, joke. Yeah, yeah. But I want to say, circle back to what you just said about America. Is like that's the coolest thing about this country is we have had that question that you just had since our inception, and if and until the end of the nation, we'll have that question of like, what is this place? And because it, it's always kind of changing and switching, it's cool. But anyway, um, yeah, I think I I. I must have fallen for Jeff Goldblum in this movie because even though I think he could be completely cut out and he is kind of buffoonish in terms of his style and things, I thought he was the cool guy. He won me <laughs> over, even though I think it's 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 kind of a waste of time. He's fun. I liked his magic. Like I'm like, does Jeff Goldblum know magic? Some of these tricks are fucking great. That thing with the salt he does in the beginning is dope. I like his stupid tricycle bike. I like his stupid hat, his big glasses. I just think he's cool. Um, but, uh, but again, I thought he was like, we didn't need to spend seven minutes of screen time with the guy in this yeah. movie, but anyway, anyway, I was okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think let's get into the good. Scenes. Let's get into the good. Let's get into the good. Yeah. Cause yeah. there's a lot of that tons more than bad, much more good than bad. Let me just get that out there. There's some great, great shit in the good category. Yeah. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is not one specific scene, but kind of an overarching thing that just keeps popping up is just the way that women are are exploited and treated in this this film. Um, and and I don't mean that the movie is treating them badly. I I, I mean no, that I the, know what you mean. the movie is representing just the the way that we use and discard these these poor women that are just you know they're they're pawns in this this game that that all these men are playing. And like, um, you know, I, 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 it's just, this movie is tremendously sad at, at mm -hmm. points. And, you know, the big one that sticks out for me is when Suleen is, is giving that performance to that room of just fucking animals and, and they, you know, obviously she's not a good singer. Like, like, you know, the, the movie is not trying to, uh, make you sympathize in so far as like it's unjustified that she's getting kind of you know uh, made fun of in a certain way, but then the length that it goes to of just like she has to then go do this strip tease and and to mm. to uh, you know appeal to these men and like it's just so fucking gross and and that whole scene like I don't know if I've seen a scene of nudity that left me feeling more like gross in mm -hmm. recent memory than that. Yeah, it is very icky, and it is a remarkable scene. And Robert Her performance, Altman performance too, dude, so great. Her name's Gwen the ghost, Wells. Is the actor Gwen, Gwen Wells? The ghost of Robert Altman slapped me in the face in that scene because I have my little computer out. I'm I'm, I'm typing up all the things I don't like about this movie, and. She goes into her second song right before the striptease. And I'm like typing away. I'm like, do we need to see her sing again? Because I'm so hung up on my Opry thoughts of mm. like how much, how many performances do we need to see? We already know she can't sing. And, and it devolves into the striptease all of a sudden. 
And I could just hear Altman be like, yeah, I need to see it again. This is fucking important. Because it was like a heartbreaking scene. Shut the fuck up, Jared. Listen. Yeah, just pay attention. It's in here for a reason, you fucking (laughs) idiot. Why don't you make a movie? So um, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like, this is so sad. And the whole time, like leading up to the striptease moment, we're kind of making fun of her too as an audience, I think, because she's this bad singer. She's delusional. I think we're kind of like, God, she does stuck. She stinks early on. Like we almost like jeering her from the crowd. The movie is leading you down that path for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's that first time we hear her sing, there's that guy with the hat who's drinking a beer at the bar and he just like shakes his head. It's like, God, she sucks. And we're all like me. I'm like, yeah, I'm right there with you guys. She does stink. And then when she gets forced to start stripping the sadness in her eyes and this, mm. the sort of kind of vulturish nature of everybody in the audience hooting and hollering, um, almost everybody. There's a couple people who aren't, um, but um, it was just like an unbelievable scene. And, I, and I, I, it's like to see this beautiful woman naked and just have your heart broke is like not a common <laughs> combination of <laughs> feelings. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, geez, like because she is gorgeous. She's a gorgeous actor. But it's just the scene is just so sad. It's it really like, Ugh. is. Uh, so I'm right there with you, dude. That was one that I adored. Stunning, stunning scene. The scene with Lily Tomlin and her kids. The first time we see them together. I just really like that scene mm-hmm. where she's mm-hmm. she's so engaged with the son's story. And we kind of get the idea that the that Neil Beatty, that's his name, Ned right? Beatty. Neil Beatty. Ned, Ned Beatty, your your super fan. Drew is a super fan of Ned Beatty, and I might be coming on, jumping on your bandwagon too, man. He's fucking great in this, but we can see that he is like checked out and um, less engaged than she is as a mother. And the way Lily Tomlin is looking at her son when he's telling the story about, uh, I think he was like swimming in gym class or something like that. It's just so beautiful. It's like she's like just looking so lovingly at him and is so fascinated with what he's signing and it's i think it is heartbreaking i'm kind of in the reporter's idea of this is really sad that this woman music is her life and she has two non-hearing children um it's just that it's so sad but uh, but like she's looking at him so lovingly it's just i don't know it's i just love that scene yeah um lily tomlin is is just outstanding in this movie and I fully agree with you on that scene, but her standout for me is when Keith Carradine is playing uh, the song towards the end mm. and she's just locked in. And <sighs> j- it's it's the perfect portrayal of that moment that you have when you see live music and something just really, really like hits you deep. And you can tell that there's a million things going through her head at that point. And it doesn't matter what those specifics are. You just, you you know, intangibly like that feeling of like, wow, like I, this, this is like a unique moment, you know, that we're having. And, and it's, I I think she's the standout performance for me of this whole movie. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's that scene and then, you know, the scene where her and uh, Keith Carradine hook up and then, you know, he does the, the super lame thing calling up, you know, the girlfriend, like while she's kind of on her way out and she's having the realization of just like, 
this, this guy's a fucking idiot, you know, and just kind of like, but the way that she reacts to and that, so instead of I. being, instead of being, and so am I, I well, think. no, but I think it also is like satisfying us a need of hers as well. Like mm-hmm. she had some, some, something she needed to work out in that moment. And he's a fucking child in his brain in terms of just like the, like he's just attention deprived. Like he just wants, wants attention constantly. And that's really all it's about for him. Um, but like for her, like she's having the realization of in that moment and, and she's having like, I think like what I love about it is she's reacting from a place of like laughing at it. You know, it's kind of just like, look, at this, yeah. this is ridiculous. This is so stupid. And, and instead of being upset about it, which in some is exactly the reaction that he's looking for in that moment is her getting upset. But he, he's not, she's not going to give that to him because she's an adult. And like, she, she like, it, it's just, I don't know. I just, I fucking love her in this movie. Dude, I am right there with you. She is my favorite performance in this movie, without question. And there's a lot of good shit going on here. And, you know, I was giving Goldblum a little flack, but <laughs> nobody nobody is failing. I, I don't see the point of Goldblum being there, but everybody is good in this movie. She is unbelievable. And those two scenes you mentioned are right on my list, too. That scene where he's singing the song. I love the way the camera... I mean, it's clear that the whole room is captivated. It's a great song. Actually, it's on Spotify, mm-hmm. but I was a little bummed. Well, it won the Oscar that the, year for the best original song. It's an amazing song. That the, the Spotify version from the soundtrack is like a clean studio version, and the production values are kind of of its time. And I mean, I mean that in a way that's like too clean. We, we still I want named the, the song, audio. by the way. The song is called "Easy." Yeah, easy, and. Um, and it was the one of the actor's original songs. Like he wrote that when he was like nineteen or twenty, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, but it's a great song, and the performance in that moment, the audio is so perfect there. I just really wish it was like that was the version on the soundtrack because it sounds so much better. Well, I was like, I like added. I was gonna add it to a playlist I have working on, and it's like, oh, they've got it on Spotify, and I started playing it. And I'm like, ugh, it just sounds too clean and too neat and tidy. Like that version where he he's solo in in that room sounds so fucking great and so it, we're right there with everyone else in this movie at that moment we're all clued in and then it's it's the camera on the four women that are wondering if this song is about them and their reactions to that and it's just fucking unreal great great scene and then that, I did, oh, hold on before you know, we move uh, off of that i i did want to note um when they were making this movie Altman made a very specific choice, which was to have them perform live in the moment and and use that recording for so what so a like choice. you know Great it's choice. not like a lot of other filmmakers where they'll get a perfect rendition that they record you know beforehand or or afterward and layer it over like he was very intentional about no this needs to be in the moment this needs to be yeah. a very like immediate response that we're getting and it plays perfectly like like it makes you wonder why anyone would do it differently ever yeah i've never understood that and honestly i think it's one of the beefs with musicals that i have it's like what is this disconnection from reality how many layers do you want me to be away from real life here and there are i mean i guess there's a recent version i say recent probably last 20 years of les mis where they did like live recording but it's rarely the case and I'm with you and Altman. I'm like, why would we ever 
do this clean cut, perfect studio thing. It seems so disingenuous and fake. Well, listen, I mean, they, there are practical <laughs> reasons for it. I want to be clear. Like, yeah. I understand the logistical nightmare that that would create for these large scale musicals with multiple camera angles and all the dancing and choreography and whatnot. Like, I kind of understand in those circumstances. But the, like when you're doing like a rock, scene or like you know just a, a stage performance in any capacity like why you wouldn't do this is is live me. <laughs> do it live yeah i mean at the very least with you there um but uh yeah that that whole that whole scene is great and the the scene in bed together that you were talking about too with like they where she kind of realizes the mistake and he's on the phone uh, there's so much going on there that i love the the whole sign language of what is i love you yeah and that is perfect. That is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a scene in this movie that's like upper echelon like atmosphere of scenes we've covered in this show at all. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, mm-hmm. I got my issues with this movie here and there and whatever, but it's just like I got to shut the fuck up there. That scene is amazing. And the whole sign language component of it was Lily Tomlin's idea. And Altman just seems so open to these ideas that his actors would have sometimes. He's a consummate and, collaborator. Yeah. And and they have that great discussion of like, I love you versus I'm, I'm happy at, uh, I met you. And like, which is a great, like not metaphor, but it's a great, like the two, there's types, different types of love. Yeah. There's like, cl- like clearly the moment they're sharing in this bed together is not, like deep romantic love, but it is probably at that moment anyway, in the, I'm glad we cross paths territory. For sure. And he, he gives her that sign of, I'm glad I'm happy. I met you after he learns it. And it's when he's blowing his cigarette out and she like blow is, dis, is waving the smoke away, but it kind of looks like she's dismissing his sign that he's well, reiterating she knows back to her. It's bullshit. It's a, of it's, course. A, it's a, man, it's a manipulative game. game. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I just have such a crush on that decision of like to make oh. her like waving the yep. smoke away, but simultaneously waving the sign away. It's just like, good yeah. God, that's genius. so fucking good. Yeah. 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 And then and then as she's like kind of gathering up her shit and he's on the phone and she's putting her like there's that moment where when he picks up the phone, I'm like, what an asshole that he's calling his girlfriend. Or, or wife or whatever while she's still in the room and then she's staring in the mirror putting her shit together and I'm like oh she's a, she's a bit of an asshole too here like she's also and then we find out that her husband's a piece of shit too later on but like it's like oh yeah this is just very real and like they both just kind of did something a little eh, a little icky and then she's getting the fuck out of there and I don't know it's just it's amazing yeah it's a really really great sequence um, what else you got? Any other scenes that stand out to you? Oh, I really like just after the stripping scene when I'll get it one day. Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty. Yeah, Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty is being you. You mentioned this type of man early on, and and what these women are going through. These sort of like manipulative vulture types. Um, when he is talking to Sue Lean at the door of her apartment, and he's got like his. He's, he's really taking up her space and he's 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 on the brink of like molesting her It's mm-hmm. an incredibly uncomfortable situation and Wade comes up from around the corner 
and like kind of saves the day. He's one of the few like 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 great men in this movie, even though he has his moments of like being a bit of a dick and a bit drunk asshole. He's real though. He he's, he's he, real, he, he and he's it. the only he's the only male character in the entire movie we've seen look out for Suline. Like everyone or look else out for is, a woman in general. Yeah, but but her specifically, I think everyone else is like is 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 either mocking her either to her face or like not not you know behind her back or whatever and he's the only one who tells it straight but i love that he he gets ned out of there and as ned he's getting in the car to drive away he's like didn't your mother ever teach you manners as he was like on the border of molesting this woman is such a funny line um <laughs> But then he's the yeah he's the only person who's really honest with her. He's like you can't sing like you you stink like get get out of this town. I'm the, and I would like to think he's doing that without motive. I think he's just being a friend there. I think um, that's the intention of the movie. I don't think yeah. the movie is in any way hinting that he has ulterior motives other than to help no. her in that moment. Yeah, I think he's, he's like, the, he's the voice you. of reason in in the movie yeah. in that way. And I think it's important that that character is black in that way too. You know, he isn't an, an outsider to the to this this highly you know, white uh, culture that that country music is. And he's on the outside looking in and just being like, look at all these fucking dumbasses like doing this shit. Like, like he's got a very, very like honest perspective on what's going on, which I think like the movie needs that kind of that Greek chorus, you know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love that scene too. And right before the I'm easy song, he sits next to Lily Tomlin after he orders her a drink and he's like, He's like, he's like applauding oh, the song, and he's his beer is yeah. no. Before it's after he sings, he's like, "Woo!" They're like, yeah, and he's banging his beer bottle on the table to uh-huh. like as a fake applause, and the beer is like splashing on Lily Tomlin. It's just so funny. <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's funny. He's just like banging away, um, but he's like he's not being creepy with her. That's no. he's like not a creepy guy. I love that about him. But yeah. um, and then a couple more kind of quickie fave ones here. The scene, remember the storyline of the the guy whose uh, wife is in the hospital and his niece mm-hmm. is there. And another mm-hmm. person, I don't really know what the fuck she's doing in this movie. That really like anorexic, skinny. Well, that's that's Shelley Duvall. Oh, okay. And that she's that- she's kind of representative of just um, like chasing celebrity. You know. Oh, okay. Like she's gotcha. she's come there under the guise of uh, visiting her dying aunt. Uh, or sick aunt, and instead she's trying to go hook up Just, with musicians. Right, right, right. Um, but the scene where the guy's wife has just passed away and mm-hmm. he just got the news and Scott Glenn doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And they've had a bonding moment in the church. Darkboard movie night alum, Scott Glenn. Yeah, Scott Glenn did just love to see Making him. Making a reappearance. What did he play? John Glenn? There was some confusing bullshit. No, he, with that he movie. played. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But but uh, forget. I'm blanking on the title. Right stuff. The right stuff. Good movie. Um, but they've had this bonding moment in the church of how the guy, uh, the older guys, they had a son who passed away in, the, in World War II and stuff. Yeah. So there's some there's a moment there. But Scott Glenn's character has no idea that this guy just was told that his wife has had passed away, and he's just like being all peppy of like, oh, my mother said I have to go see Barbara Jean and and blah, blah, blah. And this man is like breaking down, but like still kind of keeping it together a little. And as Scott Glenn leaves, he's like, oh, tell your wife uh, I said, hey, or, so, or like, you know, 
good luck to your wife. And he's just, and then he starts sobbing after that. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, another great, great scene in this oh. movie. Um, how about the scene where, the, before we move off the the uh, the old man, how about where he's at the funeral and he walks off mid-funeral to, to go get Shelley Duvall because he's like, you need to pay respect to like your aunt who just died. Like, this is bullshit. Like, and, and oh, yeah, the she, anger, like, I, I just, I don't know. Something about how that guy plays that scene is, is outstanding to me. He's really good. He's really good in this movie. Um, he he did, obviously not a major role, but every time he's in it, I'm like, yeah, he's doing everything right here. Barbara Jean's breakdown on stage, uh, where she keeps repeating the the story. I fucking so love that scene. And Ronnie Blakely, we got to call out. She's really fucking great in this movie. The other, she's Aka- awesome. her and Lily Tomlin were both nominated for best supporting actor for this movie. Dude, if I understood or one of actress. the special features right, I I I think she was not even really like an actor. She was no. like they're hired to write the music for the movie. And this other actor they were going to have dropped out, mm-hmm. and Robert Altman was just like, oh, just have her do it. And she fucking kills it. She is unreal yeah. in this. It's it, Yeah, she is not a not an actor, really, but she has some of the heaviest lifting to do of any of the characters. <sighs> My God. And that, that scene is a perfect example of what you're saying with this heavy lifting stuff. She apparently, the, the actor wrote that the night before and mm. presented it, or, or you know, a few days before, whatever it was. And presented it to Altman. He was like, "Yeah, do that." And then it was Altman's idea that they split it up, like let's do this like band restart, and and then break it back up and restart. Um, and it's just a kind of a heartbreaking scene. And I know she was kind of spiraling out, but uh, she wasn't the worst storyteller I have ever heard. And I thought that was a component of country music: is you spin a little yarn about the tune, even though she's clearly like kind of. Having a breakdown, I thought people were a little hard on her. She's like, she's just telling a story about her grandparents. Like, uh, not a bad story, especially the well, story of her singing to get twenty five cents and but learning I think, the record. I think like, that's that cool. kind of the point in a certain way, which is that you know the way that we use and discard these these celebrities, these, stars, these women, and these yeah. stars, these and especially people, women. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, where you know she. Like like the slightest indication of fallibility and and of of like a you know a, a chink in the armor and like mm-hmm. people just destroy her devour her, um you know it's it, there's this the there's the part of it where you know she collapses and they they kind of chalk it up to a medical issue and not a psychological one and people have sympathy for that but as soon as it becomes anything psychological people are just like nope you're crazy get yeah. out of here. Yep, you're um, done. But yeah, just to, to uh, you know, bring it back to Ronnie Blakely, I just wanted to mention. So she was uh, a working backup singer in Nashville at the time, and that that's all she was doing. Like she was there to be a part of like the the ensemble. She wasn't going to be a character. And uh, yeah, they put her in, and you know, nominated yeah. for an Academy Award. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> it's pretty great. And and speaking of her too, specifically as we're talking about her, the ending of this movie. Mm. Is obviously very dark, but it's such a it's so effective, it's so great, and I mean it's it's a lot more bitter than sweet, but the singing is kind of uplifting in some sort of bizarre way, and 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 obviously this element of American culture being like gun violence has gotten so much worse, but like it's just something we can still unfortunately like really relate to today, and just this idea of like just trying to 
to get through it and, and try to keep your spirits up through the darkness. I thought that was really well encapsulated at the end of this movie. But there, even though it is so heavy and so poignant, there was one sprinkle of humor in there that I found so fucking funny. And that's that the reporter missed it. She, there's a <laughs> shot of all this whole movie. She's been fucking hounding people and working on her story. And after like probably what is going to be the story of like the next five years or year or so. And she, there's a shot of her in the crowd going, what happened? What happened? She like totally missed it. It was so funny. She she has that happen a couple of times throughout the movie where she just misses the point of the, the whole thing entirely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When she has the son of that lead singer, Magnolia guy, the son is is like uh, singing, and she just like starts stops paying attention to him, and is just like that's Elliot Gould, and like runs. She's just so rude. She's so hundred percent. She, yeah. but she's like you know she's chasing famos. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. She's she's part of the not the problem, but she's part of the tapestry. No, I think too. she is part just of the, the problem. I mean, yeah, she's, yeah. she is the, like the, the representation of tabloid media and, and yeah, she's like early day know. paparazzi. Well, and, and trying Almost. to make everything into a narrative and trying to, to and I, I think maybe like that's playing into the, the movies, like unwillingness to succumb to like narrative tropes and, and, and expectations is like, you know, like she is like trying to turn reality into a story yeah. And, you know, that is digestible, like a mythology that people can can like latch on to. And in doing so, she's missing the entire point of everything yeah. happening around her. Well, it's just, she, I think, is really to me, she represents this sort of idea of like in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was some like famous European uh, reporter who like came to America to try to get to the bottom of like what's going on in this culture and the society. And I'm blanking on the name. I used to know. But um, they're, they're, I think they're always, particularly with the English, but uh, Europeans in general, and especially in the early days of the country, were kind of curious about like what's, what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there will be people who come to analyze this country that just don't get it. They don't understand it. Um, well, it's a I hard to say, understand thing because it's a hypocritical culture in so many oh, ways. It's, it's very, it's tough to get your finger on it. And there's been some people who've nailed it. You know, you and I are big fans of Stephen Fry's America. That's an example of someone who came to America to try to get a better understanding of the place. And I think that provides a really great perspective. He's mm-hmm. both he's both embracing and critical at the same time. And it's really nice balance. And then you have people like Steve McQueen, the director, who I don't think really have an accurate understanding of what America is. And there's just a different there's different types of That's every, interesting. A lot of people have you watched Widows? No, I haven't. I'm I'm saying that specifically about Twelve um, Years a Slave. Just Twelve Years a Slave, really. Yeah, so it might go, be kind of a narrow Widows. I, I think he has a more nuanced perspective than you're you're giving him credit yeah. for there. But still, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that, and and he's even a, a bad example from me in multiple ways because he's not he's not uh, he's not proclaiming to be a journalist. He's making a film, so. Um, but yeah, I think she is a great representation in this movie of, of someone who doesn't get it, of someone who comes over to try to understand this place and has have no idea really what they're talking about. Um, and I think that her inclusion in this film really balances out against the satire that the movie's playing with. So the movie is at times confronting America from uh, from an American perspective itself, and 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 like we said, wagging its finger a little, but then it's also mocking people who. 
uh, confront it with no others with no understanding of it. And I think she's kind of in that category a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think it's also mocking the idea of even just trying to understand it. I think it's, it's a bizarre place. Yeah. It's it, it's like I think I think this movie is kind of of the opinion that it's you know. Like I said, like it, it, we we are a walking, talking hypocrisy of a culture where it's just, you know, everything that uh, we say, we turn around and do the opposite thing on the other side. And and it's just like you you can't pin it down. It, it's 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 just a conundrum. It's just like it, it makes yeah. no sense. Paradox. It's a paradoxical place. And it's a place I've just added another log, another word to the fire. You would nail it. I was all. looking for a word like that, though. Yeah, no, nah, conundrum. That's a beautiful word. That's better than paradox. But um, and it's a place that I, I, I have said many times in the show. It's still it's a place I love. It's a complicated, sticky place, and I. It's a I place adore. that I hate. So we can uh, balance out the scales there. <laughs> hate the H word. You hate America. America's evil. It's a pr- oh, it's a it's a fascinating place. Um, but anyway, we won't get into that. But <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know. This movie just is again. It's so it's a very American story and movie and yeah really refreshing um, well, those ways. but sorry that's it for good scenes for well, me no, no, do you have I, any others I, no, we have the biggest one of all which you you hinted at a little bit we kind of touched on it when we were talking about ronnie blakely but the entire rally scene set at the parthenon in in uh nashville uh, is just fucking tremendous it, it is like every element of that scene to me is just like perfection the you know the setting of it is like that, that the, the Parthenon in Nashville, for those who don't know, um, was constructed originally in 1897 for the world's fair that was, was happening there or the, the expo, uh, exposition, I believe is what they called it at the time. It wasn't, wasn't called the world's fair, but, um, they had that there and they constructed that. And then they, they kind of eventually refurbished it into being a permanent structure and it's just so indicative of the appropriation that that we do as a culture as americans where we we take this thing from history and we plop it down in the middle of fucking america and are like hey we rebuilt the parthenon and it's like wait wh- why <laughs> and it's like because it's cool and it's just like but what does that say about nashville culture what is what is that what's tying into that it's just it's this this fucking like just this icon of of confusion in you know a culture just like that doesn't know what it wants to be and so you're setting it there and then um just the whole sequence of like this giant american flag behind her and like the way that altman like focuses on like the rippling of the flag at times and like um mm. her her uh, Ronnie Blakely's like like unwillingness to perform in front of the flag, and then like oh, eventually she just like gives in and does it anyway, and like just it's it's just like that scene, it, it like it transported me. Like I was just like I I don't know, like it's a fever dream. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's a it's a remarkable ending to this movie. I mean, it's got to be on my short list. Fiona's best ending, even though it is so heavy and dark. But the whole thing about it is just well, yeah, stupendous. But just and, and like, you know, you referenced the the scene of of um, Albuquerque singing, you know, to mm. the audience at the end, and really just like going for it, and the confusion of everyone in the audience of being like, wait, wait, what just happened? Like, what, what, yeah. what are we supposed to do now? Like, are, are, do we stay? Do we go? Do we panic? Do we do we 
get calm. Um, And she's just singing to these people. And it's like, you know, it's a beautiful song. But then the undercurrent of it is it's it's papering over the fact that this absolute fucking tragedy just went on right in front of these people's faces. And they're just trying to like push on and and, and be normal and just like pretend nothing happened. And like it's just it, it, it's it's simultaneously like uplifting and heartbreaking and, and, and you know, just it, it's everything all rolled yeah. into one. It's, it's so it's so American. It's like, well, what else do we do? We've got kids here. Or do we just wallow in it and explain to them what just happened? Or do we just try to push through it and sing it away? And it's like, neither option seems good. And I don't know. It's just, it's just a really interesting moment in the, in at the end of this film. Like, it's just really stunning. And I knew I saw that one coming. I will say, not oh, did the, you? not the, I not the not. shooting. No, I didn't see that, but I saw that she was going to have a good voice coming because she oh, yeah, was, yeah. She looked like the biggest train wreck, and but we hadn't heard her sing, and I don't know. There's an inkling of like, I actually bet she's talented. I really love the scene early on too, where she's at the like the tr- the car race track, you know, and yeah. and trying to can't like hear. sing over that, and you like can't <laughs> can't, you can't hear, hear anything. It's like, yeah, but it's really a perfect funny. setup for that to, to then come back around and and have her just belt yeah. one out at the end. Yeah, and how about Magnolia guy in when he gets shot in the arm there? And he's like, someone needs. He's like in shock. Yeah. And the performer in him, he plays it perfectly. But even in the character's mind, the performer is just the show must go on. He's been Mm -hmm. shot in the arm, like she is possibly dead, and he's just like somebody needs to sing. This isn't. This isn't Texas. This isn't Dallas. I think he says this is Nashville. Uh, There's a lot going on here about assassinations in general. There's a lot of talk about the Kennedys and and Dallas, obviously, um, and things like that. Uh, But it's just um, that he's so fucking good in that scene. And one of, as we're kind of talking about him in general, uh, the scene where at the Grand Old Opry, where he lowers the mic to his level (laughs) where they're debating how tall he is, he does that so good, man. That actor is... I'm just going to keep calling him Magnolia guy, but he is fucking great in this. Henry Gibson. Henry Gibson, he deserves uh, to have his name be known, but I'm just enjoying calling him Magnolia guy. But, um, but yeah, no, starting it's, to come I, around, Drew. Dude, the the last like one. half an hour of this movie is damn yes. near fucking perfect. Yes, dude, I wrote in my notes. I am right there with you. I was like, I've got I've got a little a lot of picking I'm doing here, but the last forty minutes is just like shut up and enjoy it. It's fucking awesome, and maybe all of the loosey goosey stuff leading up to that that I've been kind of picking at, maybe that's all necessary to get you in the right headspace as the movie rounds the bend because it is a very damn near perfect like last 40 minutes where I'm just like, fucking A, there's so many great scenes in there. Yeah, it's it kind of, um, it brings me back to, you know, you brought up Dazed and Confused earlier in the show and that that movie I had a really interesting reaction to when I first saw it, which is I really did not enjoy Days and Confused on first watch. And I felt a lot of the same things that you're bringing up in terms of just the, the, you know, why, why are we doing this now? What, what are we cutting to these people for? Why does this matter? And the ultimate conclusion is none of it matters, but it's all character. It's all, it's all, you know, kind of building in the, you know, or bringing you into that world. And it's the kind of thing where, 
on rewatch, Dazed and Confused has become one of my favorite movies. And it's because of that that looseness and that willingness to just spend time with characters and like give you a little slice of their moment and like then cut over here. What are these people doing? What are they doing? Like, so I could totally see this movie, you know, aging in our brains as like a, no, 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 I don't want to cut that out. I like all these little bits. This is all yeah. adding to the whole. I could see that too, I guess. If I, like, if I, if I fall for these characters, I would agree with you. Uh, but there's so many that I don't care about in this movie. That's another kind of thing. Who are the characters you don't like, care about? Because I, I feel like all of the characters resonated at a certain point with me. Um, I mentioned Goldblum and... Um, well, sure, okay. The very skinny uh, girl. I can't... Shelly you know Duvall. Shelly Duvall. She, her like, character's so this, name is L.A. Joan. Yeah. And up until the stripping scene, um, I didn't connect with uh, Lucille. Is that her name? I'm... I'm you got it right that. earlier, and I know I've, I have the list right in front of me. It's a uh, uh, Suline. That's Suline. it. Like, but then the stripping scene made me shut up. I was like, okay, no, this is a great character, but but there were I was having a hard time rooting for people in this movie to some degree. Lily Tomlin, I had the pom poms on, cheering her on. She's fucking great. But there's a lot of shit heels in this movie too. You yeah, know? so but, I don't know if I don't know if I'm gonna also, want to spend time with these people when I come back. Well, yeah, but I mean, like I'm thinking of these side characters, like you know. Well, there's there's the other bandmates of Tom's, you know, the the Keith Carradine character, and specifically mm-hmm. the the Mary character uh, played by Christina Oof. Rains. Like she just has these like little cutaway scenes that yes. really don't contribute much to the whole of the movie, but like they they feel so like essential to me when I see them. And and it's like and again it's a, like it's a woman who is just being like jerked around by all these fucking jackass men in her life, and like is is in some ways like trying to just like hold her own and 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 find her own space within this this whole thing. And um, I yeah I just I I found her performance fucking outstanding. So that's like to me yeah. like all these little side characters. I'm like as I think about them, as I spend time with them, as I go back and rewatch these scenes, like I, I fall more in love with them. Yeah. I think there are characters and she's one of them that where I agree with you. I'm like, yeah, I want, I want more time with her. And Mary, let's just say, my God, babe of the year, Stone Cold babe Stunner. of the 50. So beautiful. And my God, does she look great on camera? I'm just like, good God. Um, yeah, I wonder. I don't know if that'll be a unit. As we're talking about all this, <laughs> this toxic male shit, uh, but we'll do one for men too. We'll we'll balance it out. We'll have a fox of the year or something like that. She's an actor that I'm not familiar with, but I will say she's in a uh, Ridley Scott movie that I have never seen that I really want to watch called The Duelists, um, mm. and she's one of the one of the stars with uh, Harvey Keitel, Keith Carradine, and Albert Finney. So I, I would like to. I would really like to check that one out. Oh, dude, I have a movie in mind. It's my week to put one on. But fuck, dude, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that one for you because I've got a good one in mind. But that okay. is dope. I hope we put, you put that on soon because the duelist sounds intriguing. Mm-hmm. And we get we get more of this actor. She's fucking great. Um, but yeah, there's, so there's some characters where I'm like, I just don't really care about this person. And uh, but there's others that like like you're saying about Mary, I really responded to. Uh, so it's a mixed bag, but and I, I do still feel it's at the end of the day a little overrated. Like it's it does have flaws, but there are times where the movie is unfucking touchable. Yeah, I don't know. I I think I'm much closer to calling this a masterpiece than it sounds like you are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's flawless. I, I, I see what you're saying, but I don't know, just overall, like the more I think about it, the more I talk about it, the more I sit with it, it just, it, I, I think it's just stunning in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's like kombucha. It's gestating in your gut a little bit. The, the, the stuff is working on it. Fucking kombucha. Kombucha. <laughs> Love it. Seven <laughs> bucks a can. Can't go wrong. As we're kind of wrapping up here, I, I think something I wanted to, to touch on here is the fact that this movie came out the same summer as Jaws. And in a lot of ways, it feels like this is a huge turning point for Hollywood uh, where the success of Jaws propelled Hollywood into this space where they were no longer going to fund the movies like Nashville. And I think in some ways it's a little bit of the beginning of the end, even though Jaws is a goddamn masterpiece and it's incredible in its own right. Um, I think it's really interesting to consider like the way that this is kind of sitting right at that top end of the bell curve where, you know, the, the new Hollywood movement of the late sixties into the early seventies and just the, the embracing like studios embracing giving budgets to high concept art you know, like this and, and this being populist entertainment in a way moving into the blockbuster realm with Jaws and then two years later, Star Wars. It's a really fascinating time in film history. Yeah. And then everyone's least favorite movie, the terrible movie, Heaven's Gate comes along and ruins everything, even though Drew and I are fierce defenders of that fucking film. And it is criminally perfect movie. Great movie. Uh, it gets way too much shit. It's unfucking necessary. But I get what you're saying. This is kind of like not quite the death rattle of these sort of these sort of like auteur kind of films and mm-hmm. things. Um, but uh, it's like it's on its way out the door uh, to some degree. Then I guess it kind of comes back in the '90s at some point. Yeah. But well, but that's always like an independent film movement. That like that's the, true. Studios that's studios never came back to this kind of thing really. Yeah. And then a twenty four. You know, we, we have mixed emotions about them, but they do produce, they do give a lot of freedom. But again, to small budgets, like no, nothing that they've done is over like $30 million. I wanted to talk a little bit as we're kind of uh, rounding the corner here about the sound design. I think we've talked about it a oh, little, but yeah, how do yeah, you, yeah. how do you feel about it overall? Do you think it's effective? You know, you've brought it up a couple of times and I meant to point out at, at all those instances and just didn't find a way to, to get it in there. But, um, that this is very much Robert Altman's style, and and it's it it is something that is pervasive throughout his filmography. Um, if you go to like, I really really want you to watch McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I think you're gonna fucking love it. And those scenes, there are like, there are scenes in like a brothel in that movie because uh, Mrs. Miller, the the uh, Julie Christie character, is is um, the proprietor of a, a brothel in in you know. Uh, the American West uh, in the 1800s. Cool. And um, there are scenes in the brothel of just like all these like men like playing cards and drinking at the bar and the camera really just kind of like sits back in the corner of the room and observes all this stuff. And you just have this cacophony of like, you know, beers clanking and people chittering and, you know, just all this like noise. And, and it's, it's so immersive and cool the way he does that. I think it's kind of a hit or miss thing for him. Um, sometimes I really, really dig it. Sometimes I find it 
it makes it hard to understand what's going on. I haven't seen this movie, but there's a, a, a movie that he made right before Nashville called uh, California Split, which mm. is a, um, I think it's set in Vegas. I don't, I don't know, but it's a card playing movie. It's like, you know, kind of a, a gambler movie starring Elliot Gould. And apparently the, the, the sound design in that um, people have major criticisms of in that it makes the movie almost unintelligible at times. <laughs> um, mm. So like, I, you know, I see the both sides of it, but I do find it really cool that that is like unique to, to Altman and how he wants to present, you know, the worlds in his movie. He like, he, I, I think it is, it's trying to reflect reality in a way that I find really interesting. Yeah. I'm kind of undecided on this approach. Um, it sounds like he is aiming for, something a little more realistic. Uh, and they wanted to kind of have like, they, they, they sort of pioneered an eight track audio recorder on California split the movie you mentioned, which is something I do. I'm intrigued to check out. Um, and Altman told one of his ADs that's like, they did that so they could do Nashville. They could bring the technology to kind of that sort of thing. Um, and the AD was saying that it was an, they were going for realism, which I can respect and admire, but I don't know if I reacted that way to it because it was so chaotic and maybe some of it plays into one of my flaws as a person, as it, which is just I can't listen well in very noisy environments. If I'm in like a bar or like whatever, I'm hanging out with people, if there's a lot going on, I get very easily distracted and I can't hear um, what someone is like saying to me. Mm. Um and so maybe part of it is just me being a little more sensitive to that. Um, but it sounds like this is a common pitfall for some when they're trying to follow Altman movies. I will say if you get this on whether you stream it or Criterion, if you choose to watch this, subtitles can be your friend. I'm starting to come around to subtitles in general. So I, I felt like <laughs> subtitles were necessary for this movie. This is one I'd recommend. I, I used to be strictly against with the idea of like, well, if you're not supposed to hear it, you're not supposed to hear it. That's well, but I, what it. I love about it for this movie specifically is the fact that there, like, there are so many scenes of these big bars with lots of people kind of coming and going and and cutting around, and you pick up all these little tidbits of of conversation going on throughout the scene that I think are really interesting. It's important um, information too. Yeah, well, well, some of it is, but some, some of it's completely yeah. extraneous and just like is is just putting you in the world. And I th I think that's valuable too. But I I love just picking up all these like little things going on throughout the the scene, and um, you can really do that if you turn on the subtitles. Yeah, and Drew knows my audio situation at my apartment <laughs> in Atlanta sucks. It's just like from the TV. Um, so you could pick maybe up it the would cheapest be... sound bar on the market, and it would improve I know, your I sound I just, considerably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't like it. But um I uh yeah, it's just this was a big one. So I'm right there with subtitles on this one. Also, you and I talked about silence in the pre-chat. I might recommend subtitles for that one too, uh, for very different reasons. But um um yeah, for overall I would say I didn't I wasn't enamored with the sound design and for me it was more of an impediment, but I think it's cool what they're going for here and some people might really fucking love it. Yeah. Um, I, I love it in McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Um I and I think it really works in this movie too, but I understand where people might get hung up on that. But that's it for me, man. Uh, I kind of said my piece. I think it's a little overrated, but at the end of the day, really happy we checked it out. Yeah. Um, I'll close out just, I, I pulled a quote from an article that I read uh, in Salon Magazine. It's from 2000. It was a retrospective that they wrote um, at the 25th anniversary of this movie. Um, but the the author in that referenced or, or referred to this movie 
um, as kind of being about, quote, a country trying to pull itself together from a nervous breakdown. And I think that's the perfect way of, of, of kind of just wrapping up what this movie is. It's a nervous breakdown of a country where we don't know what we are and we're, we're just grasping at anything that will give us meaning. And I think if that sounds like your cup of tea, this is a great movie. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. If you're curious, I'd say check it out. I heard one of the actors say it was like a combination of politics and entertainment, which is what America is. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's an interesting point, too. But yeah, interesting flick, man. Definitely is. I'm glad we watched it. But let's get something new on the board. What do you got for us this week, Jared? I'm coming in hot and ready, Drew. This one is in the barrel, ready to go. A movie I've never seen. I've always just assumed it's going to suck. Who knows? Maybe it's great. Don't know if you've seen it. Okay. How do you feel about the film Dirty Dancing? (laughs) I've never seen it. Yeah, me, me neither. I think it'd be a fun one. It's a little bit of a tester. Sure. I mean, we can we can use some lighthearted fare on the board right now, I guess. I mean, let me look at it. I mean, yeah. I'm not opposed. If that's what you want to put on, I'm I'm down. I think I saw someone mentioned it or it took a screenshot of it. It's like, you know, let's let's figure out if it's any good. Maybe it sucks. I, I thought it might be a musical. I've heard lately it's maybe it's not. I kind of wanted to try something new with this pick. It's like I think we should just let's give it a shot. It's in that sort of category of like, who knows, dude? Maybe it's fucking great. All right. Well, Dirty Dancing goes in at number 13 then. <laughs> let's run through the board before we throw the dart real quick. Love it, dude. At number one, The Brothers Bloom. At number two, Ikiru. Number three, Zed. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Dirty Dancing. Number 14, Straight Time. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, Altered States. Love it, dude. Let's see what we get. The dart has spoken. What are we doing next week? Number two. We're going to be covering Graham's choice of Akiru. Akiru. This is Kurosawa, right? It is. Our second Kurosawa that we're going to cover on the show. Holy shit, dude. That was so long ago that he put that up. I'm excited we're hitting this one finally. Yeah, we might need to get a little blurb from him on uh, why he put it on the board at some point, but uh, I love it. I'm excited to cover it. I'll reach out about a blurb. 1952's Akiru, currently available on HBO Max, if you have that, free to watch with subscription. And then also Canopy, Drew Loves. It's free with a library card. It's on there. And if you are part of the Criterion Collection, it's available there too. So some good solid options. Criterion Channel, the those Criterion Channel, for Criterion. right, right, right. Yeah, just to just Unlike to clarify. Nashville, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Good clarification. And then I'm assuming pay to rent other places too. So a lot of ways to track this down. And we're going we're going way back on this one. I'm excited, dude, for next week. Absolutely. Well, that'll be next week's episode. For now, we're wrapping up on Nashville. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. 
Sorry, Mike. Still saying it. Later. <laughs>